Good morning, this is Christine DiGiacomo, and today's morning briefing is called, Why Do People Fight? Why do people fight, anyway? We have just discussed various facets of peace, and we would all agree that living in peace is a much better way to go. And yet, well, pick up the newspaper. What do you see? Turn on the radio. What do you hear? Go for a road trip with your kids. How long do you drive before there's a fight in the back seat? James lends a little insight about the matter in chapter 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it, so you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet, the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. That's James 4, 1 through 3. James is directing his young Christian church to stop and consider their conduct. He does so by referencing the desires that battle inside each of them. He knew his readers were familiar with this concept, battling desires within, because the Talmud taught that humans were composed of 248 body parts, and the good urge and the evil urge struggle over the body as a whole, each lodging in different body parts. Fascinating. James suggests that we have a choice to cultivate the good and control the evil. Cultivating in the good means choosing the right course, not merely the one that feels best to self. Rather, it is choosing to be humble, thinking of another before self. I am caught by James's words addressed to the Jewish Christians young in their faith. You want what you don't have. Really, they didn't know what they didn't have. They thought they wanted position. They thought they wanted possessions and then they would be satisfied. Until then, the have-nots were jealous and envious of the haves, and the quarrels ensued. I submit to you that what they wanted and did not have is the same thing we want, but most of us do not have. Most people want more. More of this, more of that, more of something they don't even know about, just more. In search of the more, I'd like to give you something better. It is a something that will make you a pleasure to be around, help you feel settled inside, give you a good attitude, make complaining a thing of the past, erase facial lines and make you look younger, enable you to be at peace, even if your world seems to be falling apart, even if your body fails you or is in great pain. When you have this something, it will be accompanied by a grateful and a glad heart, and a soul that is assured. It cannot be purchased, and no one can take it away from you. Having this one thing makes every other gift pale in comparison. It is the gift of contentment. It was many years ago now, and I was at my very first Christian retreat in the Santa Cruz Mountains in Northern California when I discovered these verses written by the Apostle Paul. At the time, I had one high school child, one middle schooler, one preschooler, and one infant. 
I took the verses to heart, trying not to complain when I was overwhelmed. These incredible verses became my mantra. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Paul was likely shackled and imprisoned when he wrote those words. By the world's standards, Paul should have been much more content before he came to Christ. After all, he had position, status, and acclaim, which afforded him many privileges and a comfortable living as well. Since that day, everything had changed for him. Why, it would seem that his new commitment had wrecked his life. And now we find him in prison and talking about knowing contentment in all situations. What a notion indeed. Paul's grasp of contentment, his outlook, if you will, seems to stand in direct opposition to James's thought on why people quarrel. Because we want what we do not have. We are jealous and envious. Hmm. How do you account for Paul's words about contentment? 